0: The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. In 1982, Malcolm MacArthur murdered two innocent strangers after planning to commit a bank robbery. He then hid at the then Attorney General's house and later declared that both murders were a mistake. In his new book, Mark O'Connell gives an intriguing account of the crimes, featuring a significant compendium of interviews with MacArthur himself. And he joins me uh, in studio this morning. Mark, um, good morning. The interactions you had with Malcolm MacArthur, what were they like?
1: Well, our interactions went on for, you know, uh, many months and we had hours and hours of conversation. So my personal experience of him, uh, you know, kind of varied, but overall uh he's a very contradictory man um he is uh very much at odds with the kind of official story of uh his own past of his particularly of his childhood uh so you know he's a, he the, the the book in a way uh, although it tells the story of the crimes of the terrible murders of Paddy Gargan and Donald Dunn it's also an attempt to reckon with this really kind of difficult um paradoxical character and and the kind of difficulty of trying to get to the truth of a a person like him, of any person, really.
0: Now, the interesting thing about MacArthur is for a generation, the name will bring instant connotations of both the period in in political uh, life within Ireland and one of the most notorious double murders in Irish history. For a younger generation, they may have no idea who the man is. So will you explain exactly what it is that he did, what the crimes were and how he was found?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, the brief version of it, I suppose, would be that, you know, MacArthur uh, in the in the 1970s and early 80s, was a fairly well-known kind of figure around town, sort of socialite really, uh, from a very sort of well-heeled landed gentry background in in County Meath. He lived off uh, quite a substantial inheritance for most of his, uh, for all of his 20s really, and and most of his 30s. uh, And, you know, lived a very kind of quite lavish lifestyle. Um, You know, ate well, drank, uh, you know, entertained, uh, and spent a lot of time sort of, Cultivating his, his intellectual kind of pursuits um, didn't work, you know, because that was the background he came from. And and when uh, the money, as money tends to do, eventually ran out, um, he panicked essentially. Uh, and you know, rather than uh, getting a job, he decided he was going to rob a bank. Um, thought that you know he was uh, clever enough and resourceful enough to pull off a, a, an armed uh, bank robbery. Uh, and in the process of getting the two things that one would need to do such a thing, uh, meaning a, a car and a, and a shotgun, he uh, brutally and, and senselessly murdered a 27-year-old nurse named Bridie Gargan and a, a 27-year-old farmer named Donald Dunn. And of course, the reason why we're still talking about this today, I suppose, is that uh, there was a very public manhunt that went on for about 10 days. Uh, and when he was finally arrested, he was arrested in the home of the Attorney General Paddy Connolly. And so a huge political scandal ensued.
0: And because of the political scandal, to some extent, it obscured the crimes because the the political scandal and the nature of it and the bizarre fact of a double murder being found in the Attorney General's House and the subsequent Mm -hmm. political dealings with that became uh, a significant focus. The manner of the killings, though, I mean, the murder of Bridie Gargan was imbecilic and brutal. It is just horrendous when you read the account of it. There was no need for this. As you say in the book a million times, he wanted a car, he could have stolen her
1: car and not done her any harm. Yeah. The crimes were um, completely gratuitous, completely senseless. And in fact, they weren't just needless, they were actually in a way counterproductive to um, the aim that he'd, that he'd set himself. Um, so there was no need for him to kill Bridie Gargan. It made no sense. There was no need for him to kill Donald Dunn. Um, and there's so much about this that refuses to make sense. And And... The thing, one of the more paradoxical things about MacArthur in my encounters with him over the course of, of uh, writing the book was that he considers himself a very rational and, and logical person and in many ways presents himself as that and, and in many ways, you know, appears that way. Um, and so he kind of needs to make the murders, he needs to kind of cordon them off from the rest of his life in order to preserve this self-image of himself as a very rational, kind of logical, intellectual, you know, person. Um, so he needs to make, you know, he refers to the crimes as um, the episode, the criminal episode, uh, which in a way is a very revealing kind of uh, way of talking because it sort of cordons cordons that off from the kind of narrative of his life. And the book is, uh, to a large extent, concerned with narrative. It's concerned with how a person makes uh, a story out of their life to make it make sense. Uh, and how... You know, a person well, that's of what's intriguing, about because a,
0: if you look at what he did with with Bridie Gargan, I mean, there was a situation where he, he had effectively had taken her car with a fake gun and could have just absconded with the car mm-hmm. he he beat her lifeless in the back of the car with a hammer and then left her to die which he did a number of days later a young nurse early on in her life and early in her career he takes he meets Donald Dunn to buy a shotgun from him and he has a, a shotgun now pointed at Donald Dunn he could have simply as you say in the book he could have said go walk across the bog and keep walking and he shoots him in the face and murders him you would hope, in reading your interactions with Malcolm Macarthur, that you would see somebody who had, who was eaten alive by guilt over what he had done. There isn't the tiniest shred
1: that that's the case. Well, I'm not sure. I would agree that there's not the tiniest shred. I agree. It's it's unsatisfying, you know. Uh, someone like you or I, presumably, had we done something as you know monumentally brutal and senseless as as those murders, I imagine. And I, you know, I think this through on the page in the book. I imagine the kind of weight that that would exert on a life, you know, you'd imagine that you would be crushed by guilt, that that your life would be completely and utterly defined by, by just the moral weight of what you'd done, regardless of whether you'd gone to prison or whatever else. Um, MacArthur is, you know, he sees himself as a stoic. He sees himself as someone who accepts what happened, what he did, and doesn't see the point in being destroyed by it. He you know, says, and to some extent I believe him, that he does feel uh, remorse. He says very deep remorse for what he did. Uh, but it, it certainly isn't displayed in the way that, as I say, you or I would find relatable. He went to Alan Shatter's book signing. Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, that that I think is is emblematic of the the nature of the man. How does somebody who you would have thought the least they could do given what they had done to the two individuals and to the families of the individuals, you'd say, well, it's sackcloth and ashes henceforth. It has
1: to be. Right. Well, here's the sort of confounding uh, contradiction or one of the many confounding contradictions of MacArthur is that, um, in a way, he sees it as a very logical thing to do. You know, uh, it was Alan Shatter who finally... Um, kind of presided over his release from prison in, in 2012 um, he had a lot of goodwill for, for this reason towards Alan Shadow he thinks he's you know he did the right thing by him and he appreciates it um, so he felt that the right thing to do was to show up at his book launch um, to support him there's, there's an extraordinary lack of kind of um, self-awareness in some ways there you know um, it's interesting when you because you tell
0: the story of um, meeting MacArthur of developing the journalistic relationship with him and all that through obviously your own first person narrative and there's a bit in the book where you you sort of reset your thinking and you say well I, I tried to remind myself what if this man had done what he did to Donald Dunn what he'd done to Brighty Gargan mm. if he had done that to somebody close to me I try to imagine that how did you how did you square that having a professional relationship with somebody and knowing the awfulness of what they'd done.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's one of the kind of um, difficulties of the book, one of the moral difficulties, because it is, you know, in order to write a book like this, you have to get close to the subject uh, in in every conceivable way. And, you know, that is not without its moral difficulties. Um so many times when, uh, you know, I would be sitting in his apartment or we would be talking on the phone, but particularly in person, and and he would be, um, talking about, you know, he's, a, he's, a, he's an intellectual. He's a very kind of, he likes to talk about ideas. He likes to talk about science and economics and history and so on. Uh, and so, you know, there are times in which it seems like you're attending a, a kind of an impromptu lecture. But always there are these moments where you are just forcibly reminded of the sheer magnitude, the sheer horror of what he did. And so it's, yeah, it's difficult to square that kind of erudite, eloquent person standing in front of you, talking about string theory or whatever it might be, with the man who did these things.
0: Is it also difficult to come up with a a single coherent motivation for it? Because this is a man, motivation may be the wrong word, cause, catalyst for it. Mm -hmm. This is a man who had every opportunity. As you say, he inherited an absolute fortune, he was well-educated, he was landed gentry, he could have gotten a job and like everybody else. There isn't an immediate thing that you can point to and say, well, there was the scarring youth Mm -hmm. that caused him to be the way that he is. How do you explain it? Well,
1: there's kind of in a way, two competing narratives at the centre of the book. And it is a it is a book full of ambiguities and kind of uncertainties. But one of the major ones here is that the kind of official, uh, if we can say, official story that kind of emerged uh, in the days after his arrest and uh, particularly after his conviction uh, of MacArthur's early years in his childhood was one of, you know, quite extraordinary privilege in a lot of ways, but also a, a rough childhood. You know, people who knew the family well uh, people who uh, worked for the family, in some cases, um, said that his father was violent. That there was violence between his and, and, of course, his mother spoke about this as well. His mother spoke about this publicly. That you know there was violence between uh, herself and um, and MacArthur's father, and that MacArthur was was witness to this, and and that he himself um, was was you know occasionally uh, you know a victim of violence, um, and also the kind of picture emerged of a very neglectful and and cold mother. So, you know, that's all secondhand stuff as we, you know, it's often all we have in these kinds of cases. Um, MacArthur's very much pushing back against that because, you know, from his point of view, uh, as he puts it to me, he wants to set the record straight. He wants to kind of undo the damage that's been done to his parents' reputation. But I think at a deeper level, um, and, you know, I explore this in, in some depth in the book, I think what he's trying to do is remove the kind of psychological ground for making him seem like the kind of person who would commit murder. So one of the kind of major um, paradoxes in the book really is that MacArthur is very reluctant to see himself as a murderer. Though he did commit these crimes and he absolutely acknowledges that he can't deny it, um, he knows that he committed murders. He doesn't want to be defined by that. And so that's a very complicated and very kind of naughty thing that, that the book... You mentioned having to.
0: had to interact with him for several months. At the end of it, do you like him?
1: Um that's a question I've, I've often been asked and I'm not quite sure how to, how to say it. You know, the man is not a monster. He's a human being and that's part of what I'm trying to do in the book is um, in a way de-glamorise him, you know, because there's a it's kind a of It's a
0: fairly w- monstrous thing that he absolutely, did. Absolutely,
1: yeah. He, the deeds were unquestionably monstrous. But I think, you know, the, the sort of thrust of the book is to absolutely unflinchingly look that in the face and to say what he did was incredibly wrong and brutal and, you know, in, in many ways unforgivable, but to never lose sight of the humanity of the person who did these monstrous things. And that's a difficult and sort of morally complex thing, um, but it's what makes for, I think, an interesting subject for a writer and, you know, a kind of a morally serious take on this.
0: And it makes for a very interesting book. The book is called A Thread of Violence, A Story of Truth, Invention and Murder. It is the story of Malcolm MacArthur and the murders that he committed. And it's written by Mark O'Connell.